Welcome to the Arrive Podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. I am Jeremy Richards, and I'm here with my business partner and fellow immigration attorney, Christine Jerusik. Together, we are Richards and Jerusik Immigration Law, practicing U.S. immigration law from our offices in Buffalo, New York, and Toronto, Ontario. And we help Canadians to work and live in the United States. If you haven't already, please follow and like us on your podcast app. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, Richards and Jerusik Immigration Law. And follow us and like us on, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram uh, for regular updates on U.S. immigration law uh, that we have created just for Canadians. Uh, in addition, on our website, there is a resources tab where you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter where you will receive all our recent updates and posts about U.S. immigration law as well. Today we are going to be discussing green card options or U.S. permanent residency options for TN visa holders and Canadians. So what are the options available for those on a TN visa to get a green card? And that's what is referred to as U.S. permanent residency, as well as Canadians in general. What do those options look like? And we're going to go over those today uh, and discuss what it, what it looks like and um, what potential options you have to obtain U.S. permanent residency. And U.S. permanent residency, um, so if, if you look at the um, progression of U.S. immigration, you start um, in, from entry to the United States on typically a non-immigrant visa is what we're looking at here. So entry as a TN visa holder, or if you're Canadian, this would be entry as a um, non-controlled Canadian or a Canadian visitor. Then once you've entered on that non-immigrant visa, what is the next step? Well, the next step, if you want to live and work in the United States permanently, would be to obtain permanent residency or U.S. green card. And that has to be done before you would take the final step, which would be U.S. citizenship if you want to go that far. Uh, so there is no path straight to citizenship if you didn't acquire citizenship through, through birth um, or uh, to a U.S. citizen parent. Uh, or birth in the United States. You have to go through this process. You'd have to first enter the United States as a non-immigrant, obtain that uh, green card, and then file for citizenship. Now, you can be sponsored directly for a green card, but that would be through marriage to a spouse or U.S. citizen, and there are other options where you can go straight to green card, um, then citizenship, and you can skip the... Uh, the non-immigrant visa well, part, but that's done. Employers can do that too. They just don't have a tendency to. They don't want to wait for three years. Yeah, and they don't want to petition an unproven, an unproven person, right? Yeah. So usually you need to make yourself, uh, prove yourself to your employer before they want to go to the expense and trouble of uh, petitioning you for a green card. And we're not gonna, we're not talking about consular processing today, and that's the point I was trying to make. We are talking about those that enter the U.S. on a non-immigrant visa, and then after entry, decide they want to stay here, and are looking for options to stay permanently after entry as a TN visa holder or as a non-controlled Canadian. So we won't be discussing the direct path through consular processing. We're going to be discussing going from that non-immigrant status to a U.S. permanent resident, and eventually to citizenship. So what is U.S. permanent residency? U.S. permanent residency is um, authorization to live and work in the United States permanently. <laughs> I mean, I think it pretty much uh, uh, explains itself, but that's what is referred to as, as a green card, uh, which the green cards aren't really green. Is there some green in there? Sure, there is. Um but that's what U.S. permanent residency is, and I think they're green. They're greenish. Some green in there. They used yeah. to be green. No, they used to be yellow. They used to be a lot of different <laughs> colors. They've changed it so much. Yeah, uh, they're really cool looking though. If you have had a chance to look at one, it's kind of like an enhanced driver's license with all the holograms and all the unique features on there. They're actually quite cool. I want my green card, but I can't get one. You want to go back? I can go back backwards. and get one. I, just I wanna, so I, I can have a green card. I don't want to be a citizen. I want to be a green card holder. I have not ever had that call before in my life. You've had a green card, though. I have. Mine so was yellow. Yours was yellow. Yeah. It was so old. It's yellow. Oh, did you have the per <laughs> did you have the permanent green card? No, mine had an expiry date. It had on an it. expiration date. Yeah, it did. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they used to issue green cards without expiration dates. 
Yeah, we've had calls from clients that have you're supposed had to replace those. Card. FYI, if you're out there with one that doesn't have an expiration date and you you know what we're talking about, it's, it looks like it's just this laminated card. Yeah, so basic. The, the one call I had from someone who who had to do that, she the only reason she was doing it is because she needed to get a mortgage on her new house and they wouldn't give uh, her a mortgage because her card didn't have an expiration date. Like, what, <laughs> what is this thing you made at Kinko's? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she got the new real. card and then she got the mortgage and she got the house. <laughs> So that's what a green card is. It's U.S. permanent residency. It allows you to live and work and stay in the United States permanently. Um, it, what it doesn't allow you to do are things that you would, you'd have to become a citizen to, to do. And one of them is vote. You can't vote as a U.S. Right. permanent resident. Um, you can't serve on a jury as a U.S. permanent resident. Um, so... But you can also move out of the United States and give up your green card and no longer be subject to U.S. taxation which you can't do as a citizen. Yep. So it's one step shy of getting the right to vote and yep. those taxation privileges, we'll say, and other things that come along with being a, a U.S. I don't, citizen. I don't think you can. There's certain um, federal job opportunities you can't take advantage of. As, if as you're a not a U.S. Resident. Yeah. There are also other jobs you can't get unless you have U.S. permanent residency or U.S. citizenship. So that's a reason why some people want to go from a TN to a green card because it does open up uh, opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise have. But that's U.S. permanent residency. And then TN visa, uh, we'll be just discussing that. again When we talk about a TN visa, for Canadians, most of you out there listening, it's, really it's status, yeah. right? It's TN status. But the world talks about visas because that's, you know, 99% of the world gets a visa. There's very few individuals that don't that are visa exempt like Canadians, and it's a status. So those are the things we'll be discussing today. What what does that status look like? How do you go from that status uh, to get a green card and live and work in the United States permanently? And before we go there, uh, not a lot of recent immigration news or updates since we last talked, but there is a curious one that was going around the lawyer message boards that we're a part of some happenings with the H1B visa world. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about this before, but we're actually seeing USCIS taking action now on these fraudulent H1B registrations. Um, it turns out that a bunch of uh, companies in a certain field, I'm not going to say which one, um, registered. I in, will in the tech field. Yeah. In I, the IT industry. This um, is not only applies to H-1Bs, but L-1 visas. It, there's been rampant fraud with certain like sectors. placement agencies yeah. and things like that, where they register. One company A will register an individual. Company B will also register to and for H-1B. And they're in cahoots together. They know what they're, they're doing they this together. So if one of them gets that client chosen in a lottery, then they will be the one that employs that person um, and they and will they help loan them, them out the contract that right. the other one has. Right. And they could even service, you know, then they loan them out or yep. even place them with a, a different company. Um, and so we just saw on the message board that uh, there was an attorney that had a client uh, who had this happen to them or was a part of it. We're not sure um, who now has had their H-1B revoked. So, so after all that good people. luck of getting chosen in the lottery, um, they had the bad luck to have been working with a fraudulent company or two and uh, had their H-1B revoked. So, And who knows if this beneficiary, this employee knew about this or not. It, it's beside the point. Right. Uh, the petitioners absolutely knew about it or the employers and they, um, they schemed to do this. And USCIS right. and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security ultimately mm -hmm. has caught on to this. And they're revoking these H-1Bs, which is great news. But I know it's sad to think, though, that the person could have been completely innocent in this and have been working maybe with one of, of the companies. And Relocate yeah, to the U.S. Got taken advantage of. That company was in cahoots with another company. They both registered his information, even though he probably only gave it to one company. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, because of that fraud, now the, the actual person who's facing punishment is the person whose H-1Bs have been revoked and needs to leave the U.S., and, and who knows if they're here or not, um, because October is the start date under that new H-1B cap. Oh, but true, yeah. yeah. It does impact their ability to live and work here in the future, right? So that's yeah, unfortunate for those individuals that are caught up in this in this H-1B scheme. Um, what 
we hope will happen, and we don't know because we haven't heard, is that these revocations mean that these H-1B visa numbers get put back in the lottery, and they've done this in the past where they've rerun the lottery around this time, actually, around July, with um, those that... So what happens is people get into the lottery, they'll get selected, but then maybe they don't file a petition and they don't follow through with it. So what USCIS would do is then take those numbers that weren't used because you have you have until June 1st to file these petitions. Mm-hmm. So USCIS knows who's used these numbers and who hasn't. And then what they do is they take those numbers, those surplus numbers that that weren't used and put them back in and then they run the lottery well, again and reallocate them. They've done that in the past. <laughs> they have, yeah. But yes, that's the question. Are they going to do that with all of these fraudulent ones they know are out there? Are they going to put those back in so that those that did this process correctly get a benefit? We don't know. So hopefully that's what they do. Yeah, I bet you they can do that when it's at a certain point. But if it's already been approved, do you think they're going to put in approved where that number has actually been used and and approval has been issued? Yeah, good question. I doubt it. Too much work for them to do. I, w- I don't have that much faith in, in them to do something like that. Yeah, it would be fair, though, if they did. It would be, absolutely. Uh, so some interesting things going on, and, and we've yet to see how this is going to impact the lottery uh, next year. Um, but they are definitely looking hard into this. I would expect some significant changes in the process, but we'll see. Um, so first, uh, now, T and visa. And we talked about T and visa status all the time. Uh, TN visa status started years ago under the North American Free Trade Agreement is is where this status came from, and it's called uh, NAFTA status, um, trade status. Back in the 90s. And that was replaced by the USMCA or the U.S. Canada-Mexico Agreement. I guess it depends who you're That's talking three to. three years ago, yeah. Some people call the U.S. Mexico-Canada agreement, U.S.-Canada-Mexico agreement. Anyway, it's all the same thing. Depends where you are, what U- country comes Asmaka, first. USMCA <laughs> or the US... Yeah, anyway, <laughs> it's all the same thing. Somebody somebody says the acronym like a word. It's yeah. kind of funny. Asmaka. I wonder if Mexico calls it the Mexico-USA-Canada Mex- agreement. They, yeah. Who knows? The Probably. Mosca. Everybody puts themselves first in this, yeah, right? So. Depending on where you're at, I what country so. you're in. Um but when you hear somebody talk about the USMCA or NAFTA, same thing. The USMCA basically adopted everything from NAFTA. Yeah, they didn't make any changes. So, so when it comes to TN status. So even though there was an outcry to update these professions, update the qualifications for the professions, uh, remove some, add others, and that debate's been going on for a long time, no updates were made to the, the occupations list under the USMCA. It adopted the same professions list under NAFTA. So when you when you hear discussion about TN status or TN visa or NAFTA or USMCA, they're all the same thing. They all fall under the same trade agreement. Uh, that's what the status is, is granted under. And the eligibility requirements for TN status depend on the occupation. Now, they all have the same overriding qualification of you have to be from Mexico or Canada. So in this case, we're talking about Canadian citizens. You cannot be a permanent resident. You must be a citizen. So you cannot qualify for TN status until you have Canadian citizenship. So that's the first thing you would look at. Are you a Canadian citizen yet or not? If you're not a Canadian citizen, then you cannot even begin to think about TN status. Now, when can you qualify as a Canadian citizen? Well, the second you become a Canadian citizen. So if your passport arrived today in the mail, and today's your, you know, July 13th, 2023, and you just became a citizen, you could march down to the port of entry or pre-flight inspection with your paperwork, and you could qualify for a TN today uh, as a Canadian citizen. So citizenship is the first thing you need. Um, after citizenship, typically starts with uh, offer employment or a contract with a U.S. client or uh, from a U.S. company for a, again, a profession that's listed under the USMCA professions list. And there are dozens, right? Um, 
doctors, dentists, lawyers, accountants, um, computer systems analysts, consultants, yeah. engineers, uh, teachers, animal breeders. Animal, we just did an animal breeder. We're doing Soil an animal. Scientists. There's some cool professions that's like, wait, what is this? Yeah. Uh, we're actually doing one for a pig farm right now, and they have an animal breeder. We just did another animal breeder for a dairy farm too. So, these ones that you wouldn't think that uh, you know there there are visas available for, there are. And some of the ones that you would think there's visas available for, and there aren't. And this goes back to when they adopted uh, the NAFTA professions list and didn't update it. There needs to be some updating, but they still haven't yeah, done like that. Yeah, like lots of medical professionals. Tons of medical professionals uh, in the medical professions that just don't qualify because their profession isn't listed, even though there's huge demand in the U.S. for those professions. Uh, the trades, too. Uh, we have truck drivers. You have all sorts of individuals that just don't qualify because they're not on the professions list. So you must be a citizen of Canada. The profession that you've been offered in the United States or the position must fall under one of those professions. And that can get a little tricky. You can be offered a position in the United States and the job title doesn't match an occupation that's listed. But when you dig deep into your duties and what you're actually doing by profession, it does qualify under one of the occupations. So the occupation or the job offer must fall under that occupations list. And then you must have the requisite education and or experience the credentials the licensing that would be required to qualify as per the USMCA professions list and it, and it lists what the criteria are for each of the occupations so that can be a tricky discussion sometimes with people because they could be the most qualified individuals probably in the world in their profession and have 30 years experience but maybe they didn't get a degree or they were, you know, a few credits shy, right? They went to school for three years but didn't finish the fourth. Well, if you're applying under a TM profession that requires a degree and you don't have the degree, you're not going to qualify. You can't substitute that for, uh, edu for, for your experience or certificates if you didn't complete it. So uh, making sure that you meet those minimum eligibility requirements. And the final thing that's typically an afterthought is the TN status is non-immigrant, meaning you need to maintain your intent to return to your home country. So those are the basic requirements. You need to be Canadian. You need to have a job offer or a contract with a U.S. employer. It must be an occupation that falls on the, the occupations list. And you need to have the qualifications as per the occupations list and have the intent to return to your home country at the the conclusion of your TN status. Now, that brings up the whole point of our conversation. You're here in the United States, you're under TN status, and you decided, you know what? I like the good old US of A, and I really want to make this my permanent home. I don't want to return to Canada. I really want to set up shop here in the U.S., set up a life, and well, stay. let's be honest. There's not too many people that don't want to return to Canada at some point in time. Well, they want to return, right? Yeah. But we're talking people that want to make this their permanent residence. Right. right, so they want to, even though they may want to go back to Canada at some point in time, they want to make the United States their home for the time being. Yes. And, the, and when we're talking about that, you're talking spending more than 50% of your time for, from now until forever in the United States and making visits back to Canada. That's how I would term yeah. a permanent residence, right? You still, you can still have ties to Canada. You can still have citizenship in Canada. You don't want to abandon that. Uh, these are individuals that say, you know what? I want to spend eight months a year in the United States and I only want to spend a couple months in Canada. They want to be here when they the snow's flying. They want to be in the U.S. more than they are, they are in Canada. Yes, and they've made that determination after living and working here, their kids go to school here, whatever it might be. Maybe their other family members are here and they want to make that transition. So what does that look like? Now, there's a misconception out there that once you're on a TN, because TN status is a non-immigrant, meaning your intent ha should be to return to your home country and not immigrate, that you can't get a green card. That's not true. Um, you can, with careful planning, go from 
a TN visa to a green card. And there are many different options uh, that can be used in order to go from TN visa to green card. And we're going to get into those. Uh, some of those options are through employment. And some of those options are through an uh, immediate family member. Now, before we get into that, um, we tried this week and failed miserably to have a live guest on the podcast. Now, the person called in, but we had technical difficulties. And <laughs> I think I was the def technical difficulty. I forgot yeah. to hit the, the, the record, record button. button. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we had a guest and I didn't record it. We had a great conversation with him. Though. It, <laughs> it was, was a good one. Yeah, it was very educational. You would have enjoyed it. <laughs> so <laughs> you would have. So we're going to rehash that conversation um, and go over the question that that individual had for us. And hopefully next time I hit the record button and you hear the live conversation. And this is a plug for all of you out there that may have an immigration question. If you want to submit it and, and have us discuss it with you live on the podcast, we'd love to have you as a guest. We'd love to discuss those questions with you. So uh, if you do have a question you want us to answer and want to discuss on the show, uh, please drop us a line. Uh, you can go right to our website uh, and you can submit through the podcast questions uh, for submission on the, on the show. Also, if you haven't already, um, read us, review the podcast, hit a thumbs up, like, subscribe, listen, you know, wherever you're, you're listening to your favorite podcast and, and share it with those out there that you think might find it helpful. We actually got this review and I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get a give a plug for this guy's review. Some, a random listener, he was driving on the I-90 here in Buffalo. I think it was the I-90. I'd have to pull up his review to say. Um, and I'm going to pull it up for you and read it to you because it was it was such a such a nice piece of feedback from this individual who didn't have to do it. Um, but this individual was driving through the Buffalo area and saw our billboard and decided he would leave us a review. And he says... Uh, I, I seen your advertisement billboard on the 190 after crossing over the border. I Googled your law firm and found your podcast. Great content. I have been binge listening to all your episodes. If anyone is interested in working or living in the good old USA, I would recommend listening to the podcast. Thanks again for all the great information. And thank you. His, his name was James. Thank you, James, for, for that. We appreciate it. At least we know we have at least one person out there listening, right? <laughs> so we have a fan in James, and we do appreciate the feedback. Um, shout out to him for that kind review and those kind remarks. Uh, so please share with those out there that you think would find this content helpful. So the question we had, this individual initially was from India, was born in India, attended school in India, is now a Canadian citizen and then wanted to know if they could live in the United States, obtain TN status under the category of a computer systems analyst. So under the TN occupations, computer systems analysts, um, you could qualify with some very specific degree requirements. You can qualify with a four-year bachelor's degree in a computer-related field, or you can qualify with a certificate or diploma and three years of experience combined. And a certificate is from Mexico. And that's a two-year course of study. It's a two-year course of study. And the diploma is from Canada or the United States. Again, again a two-year course of study. And that is not interchangeable. If you took a diploma or certificate course, and it was two years or even three years, but it wasn't from Canada, the United States, or Mexico, it does not qualify. It is not interchangeable. They will not accept it. So the only way you can use that certificate, diploma, plus three years combination is if your certificate or diploma was from Canada, the United States, or Mexico. It cannot be from outside of North America. That's one way you can qualify. The next, and I already said it, four-year degree. Four-year degree can be from any country worldwide. As long as it equates, and this is important, as long as it equates to a four-year U.S. degree, that has to be equivalent to a four-year U.S. degree. So this individual called in, and they had a three-year Indian diploma, which is common in India, and it's common in, in a lot of other countries outside of the United States that they issue three-year uh, diplomas and degrees. 
and wanted to know if that would qualify them to work in the United States as a computer systems analyst. Because, and this is where it kind of throws in a little um, hitch, is that it was equated to a three-year Oh, no, it was a, yeah, it was equated yeah. to a three-year Canadian degree. Right, right, so he had an evaluation. We said, do you have an evaluation? He said, yes, I do, and it's it's a equivalent of a bachelor's degree, but it's equivalent of a bachelor's degree in Canada where you can get a three-year bachelor's degree. A three-year Canadian bachelor's degree. So, And that evaluation could, you know, would be useful. So we've had people apply with evaluations equating things to Canadian degrees before, um, and it's not problematic in, in a lot of cases. In most cases, we tell you to get a, one to a U.S. degree. But as long as it's a four-year Canadian degree. Not three right, years. Yeah, or an honors degree, as they call them. So it has to equate to a U.S. four-year degree. Uh, that would fall under a certificate or diploma if it's less than four years. And it would have to be from Canada, United States, or Mexico. You can't use an Indian diploma equated to a Canadian three-year diploma to qualify that that won't work it has to be four years right and there are some evaluations that can be done as well where you combine experience with your degree um that would also not be valid works for, for an it works for an h1b, H1B visa not for TN. but not for tns why who knows <laughs> actually I, I do know the answer <laughs> but uh they want to limit it to north america and that's why they're doing that um and they want to they want to make this you know this is the North American Free Trade Agreement or the U.S.-Canada-Mexico Agreement. that They want to keep that talent here in North America and share it. So they do have some restrictions on how to qualify that are specific to this area of the world. So unfortunately, it means that those that do immigrate sometimes are left out because their education was obtained outside of North America and doesn't meet the requirements. All right, so... Continuing our discussion about how do you go from a TN status to a green card? Well, we haven't really talked about why that would be problematic. Why would it be? Because of the doctrine of dual intent. Yes. What's dual intent, Christine? So dual intent means that you have the intention to live in the United States permanently, but at the same time, you're showing an intention to live here temporarily. So you can't have both intentions and obtain a non-immigrant status unless that non-immigrant status permits it. Like an H-1B, H-1B or an L-1. Or an L-1. Those or would an permit. one Yes. There's then you can, get, you can go up and apply for your H-1B or your L-1 and say, yep, I'm gonna get my, I hope to get my green card someday. I want to live in the United States. And they won't care at all. And th- it won't impact your ability to get that status. Yep. However, if you're applying for something like a TN which is only a single intent. You cannot have the intention to live permanently. So if you're at your interview and the border officer says, what are you gonna do? You know, is your, is your employer sponsoring you? Or, you know, what are you gonna do when this is done? You say, oh, I'm, you know, my, hopefully my employer will get me a green card. They can deny your TN because yep. you have the intention to stay just permanently. expressed permanent exactly. intent. Exactly, so they um, contradict each other. Um, the intention to have a green card and the intention to have a temporary TN status um, can interact to make you ineligible. So for the, for the timing is status. very important when Absolutely. you do this. And it comes down to what was your intent when you entered the United States? As long as you're entering the United States under TN status and you have temporary intent when you enter, you can change your intent after you've landed in the united states under tn status let's say nine months six months a year down the road you say you know what i like it here i want to stay well at that point if done correctly and i'm simplifying the process here if done correctly you can go from tn status to green card Mm -hmm. as long as you express that intent at the proper time Proper time is not at the border, like Christine <laughs> just said. When you're um, applying for your team, we've seen yeah, many people get time. denied because of that. Yeah, I'm coming in, and my employers get me a green card, or I'm coming in, and my wife's a U.S. citizen, and yeah. I'm getting a green card. They say, "Oh, great, uh, you're not coming in. <laughs> Have <laughs> no, a nice day." Not. Yeah, go back to Canada. So the basic employment options, there's five of them, and we're not going to. We'll, we'll cover them briefly. 
They're, they call them employment-based, so EB. That's what EB stands for, employment-based options, and they have preference one, two, three, four, and five. The ones that we see the most common for TN status going to a green card is EB2, employment-based category two for those with advanced degrees and exceptional ability, or EB3, skilled workers, professionals, and other workers. EB1s are, are reserved for those of extraordinary ability. And if you're an EB1, you don't even need employment sponsorship. If you can prove that you're of extraordinary ability, you can self-sponsor. Um, and then EB4, special immigrants, special immigrant visas for those that have helped the U.S. government and other special immigrant categories where they would qualify. Um, and typically you're not using that category if you're on a TN. And the other is EB-5, which is immigrant investors. And that's most commonly referred to as like the million dollar green card. You have to do a substantial investment in the U.S. And typically those on TNs are not doing that either. So we're the, the two that we're going to focus on are EB-2, EB-3, advanced degrees and skill workers. Those, both of those in order to go to a green card, have to go through what is called the PERM process or permanent labor certification with the U.S. Department of Labor. And they have to do what's called a test of the labor market. So let's say you, you came to the U.S. on TN status and your employer says, you know what, you're amazing. We want to keep you. We want to we make this permanent. They can do this PERM process for you. They can do advertisements according to the Department of Labor re requirements in your area of intended employment. Let's say we'll stick with animal breeder. Um, <laughs> actually, do, what's you just did? What's a unique one that we've done recently for a green card? Um, you just weren't you just doing one for a manager? <laughs> a manager, <laughs> that's so boring. It's, well, <laughs> that's so boring. Uh, I mean, do we have like a farm worker manager. or something? Okay, we'll do stick we, with yes, animal breeder because I, mean, I can't remember when you off the top. We of my are head working on some for unskilled labor. Unskilled so, labor, yeah. But so we, yeah, truck drivers. Oh yeah, truck drivers yeah. and things like that. So we have done those. Yeah. So this is across the board. If you can, if you can show a need, this can be done. So let's stick to truck driver because we've seen a lot of those actually. Or it, they need a specialized truck driver. Okay, that can uh, handle complex loads or towing. Who knows. I'm making this up. <laughs> um, so if your wow, employer, if your employer sounds awesome, <laughs> if your employer needs you and they can show there's a demand for your profession that can't be filled with U.S. labor, they can do a recruitment process and prove to the Department of Labor that hey, we tried to find U.S. workers and there weren't any that were either minimally qualified or willing or able to take this job. And since we did that, and we couldn't find a U.S. worker, we have. Mr. Canadian or Mr. or Mrs. Canadian who is filling this job for us right now under TN status. And now we want to sponsor them for permanent residency in the United States. Let's be clear here that TN status is not extended truck drivers. It doesn't. That no. was a bad example. <laughs> it's a bad choice. My manager would so, be better. Well, actually an not. engineer. <laughs> yeah. Let's just keep this vanilla. Yeah. So the engineering profession, <laughs> you're, they were here as a, as a computer engineer and they couldn't find another computer engineer in the U S with that level of education and uh, experience, experience to fill yeah. this position. And they prove it. They did that recruitment. They prove it to the department of labor the Department of Labor will then certify that recruitment. They'll certify it and say, hey, we saw what you did. We agree. Certified. Then the employer would take that certification to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and they'd file a petition with them to uh, take the Department of Labor certification and then approve uh, that situation for a green card. It, it's through a petition for foreign worker, through what's called Form I-140 with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Once USCIS then approves that process, what USCIS is really doing now is comparing the individual, so the employee that the US company wants to hire permanently against the recruitment process to make sure that person meets those minimum qualifications and criteria that were advertised for. Once that checks out, USCIS will approve it. That then opens the way for that Canadian TN status holder to then do what's called adjustment of status and file while they remain in the United States in TN status for a green card and obtain U.S. permanent residency. And it does get 
a little bit more complicated than, than we're making it seem. Actually, a lot more complicated. But that is that is the process simplified. If you come in under TN status, your employer wants to keep you. They can prove there are no U.S. workers uh, for that profession. That and you are able to meet those minimum requirements. They can then get you a green card through this perm process. Um, and the time frame it takes to get that largely depends on where you were born, which sounds crazy. If you're born in Canada, much much shorter wait time. If you're born in China, India, Mexico, Mexico Philippines, Philippines, you're going to be waiting a lot longer. So those are things, also things to take into consideration in the process. Um, so visa wait times is what those, those are referred to, and, and those fall under what's called the, the visa bulletin. Uh, that's a topic for another day. Uh, but you can go from TN status to a green card through this PERM process as long as your employer can prove that there are no willing, able, and you qualified U.S. workers to take that job. And then you can get a green card in U.S. permanent residency. The other common option is the easier of them, and that is, you know what? I'm married a U.S. citizen or I married a U.S. permanent resident. Bingo. If you're married to a U.S. permanent resident or a U.S. citizen, you enter the United States in TN status, you can change your intent after entry, and then you can file for adjustment of status and a green card through their relationship to that qualifying just before relative. we started this podcast i just got off a phone call with someone who was asking the very same thing she's here on a tn Me too. really yes she's here on a no tn joke. it's it's wedding actually season. mine was before lunch i think it's wedding season yours so. was after lunch mine yeah was everybody's lunch. getting engaged and getting married these days and so she just got engaged uh, actually she's already married they they did a religious ceremony and then they just did the legal ceremony now and so she's looking to transition from her TN to permanent residence here in the United States, which, you know, if you're not, if you're not used to doing it can be tricky for some. Especially if you throw in TN status and non-immigrant intent in there too, right? Yeah. Because you have to, you have to make sure you're maintaining their work eligibility throughout Correct. the adjustment process. Um, and timing is very important. And sometimes these people want to change jobs or, or they, they want to travel or they want to travel. And, <laughs> and these things can impact their eligibility and, and how they should proceed with this and timing and things like that. So yeah, the one I spoke to, they're getting married in September. Oh, so they're nice. not married yet, but they want to, and they're smart. Yeah. They're calling ahead of time. Actually the second time I've talked to them, but they're, they want to make sure they're ahead of the process and they want to start now so that every, all the paperwork's in order and completed so yep. that as soon as they get married, they can submit the paperwork. Actually, they're going to get married, then they're going to take a honeymoon, come back to the U.S., then submit the paperwork. But anyway. Um, and I've done them like that before. Timing considerations. Yeah. What, or do you need to travel? Um, when does your TN expire? Mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature all need to be taken into account, whether this is through PERM in employment or through marriage to a U.S. citizen or U.S. permanent resident. You can also do this through another immediate family member if you were sponsored by by a parent or a sibling that qualifies to sponsor you that's a U.S. citizen. Um, those typically take longer, mm -hmm. and you have to wait longer in TN status to do that, but it is possible as well. And again, that goes back to wait times with the visa bulletin. Um, typically, you have to wait longer. Yeah, even Canadians a, have to wait longer for that. So. Everyone does. Yeah. Like 15 years sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. But there are options. So... The point is, is that you can go from that TN status to a green card, either through employment or through a family member. Now, the same thing applies to what is referred to as a non-controlled Canadian. So if you're a non-controlled Canadian or Canadian visitor, you showed up at the port of entry, you flew into the well, United not, States. Not all Canadian visitors are non-controlled, right? Because if they're issued an I-94 with a, a you know, date to come back to Canada. Then they're controlled. Then they're controlled. Yep. So if you're a non-controlled Canadian, and typically non-controlled means they you're driving, to issue the or you drive through the port of entry, a lot of times they just smile and wave and they let you in, and they yeah. didn't issue an I-94. Uh, and sometimes you won't even know because it's electronic process now. So it's important to take your passport, and you can actually search it online through CBP. CBP I-94 lookup to verify yeah. if you are in the United States, if you were issued an I-94. If you were issued an I-94, then you would be what's called controlled because they would give you an yeah. expiration date of your stay. Say, say they admit you for six months. If you're non-controlled, then they didn't issue an I-94 at all. 
You should still abide by the six-month rule, though, um, and not stay in the United States more than six months as a non-controlled Canadian. So if you entered as a controlled or non-controlled Canadian, and as a visitor, maybe you already had an established relationship with a U.S. citizen. Maybe you were already married to a U.S. citizen. But during this trip, you decide, you know what? We're not going back to Canada this time. I'm staying in the United yeah, States. Yeah, that happened a lot during COVID. A ton. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> the most common way Canadians get a green card through marriage is they come as a visitor, change their mind, want to stay. Yeah. You can do it. Or come as a visitor, get the question popped to them. And then, and then get married and Elope to Las yeah. Vegas. And then next thing you know, they need a green card. Yep. And not only spouses, but also parents uh, or siblings go through this process too. True. A lot of times you'll have a Canadian, uh, Canadian parents and they come in the country and they decide, you know what? I don't want to go back to Canada. U.S. citizen child then can file paperwork to keep them here. Yeah. I see that a lot when. Uh, what about your parents? My parents are happy in Canada. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they're, they're like crazy Americans. <laughs> um, but, if, hey, let's use your family, for example. If your mom and dad showed up, for example, this weekend, yeah, and then just said, you know what, Christine? Forget Canada. We don't want to go back. You could keep them here, right? We could petition for them. Yeah, I could. She you could. They're so my as, even biological as a, parents. I've got all the documentation and I could petition for them and they could have their green card in, in a year, a year, year yeah. and a half. They yeah. would be U.S. permanent residents. That's right. And then they'd give up all that great Canadian free health care. Canadian, do they call it cheese or do they call it syrup? What are you talking about? <laughs> government cheese. Oh, the government, government cheese. cheese. Is it is <laughs> in Canada, is it government syrup? No, it's oh. not. Government cheese, I think that's what they call it everywhere. <laughs> so, so yeah, they would give up all the benefits of, of residing in Canada, but uh, they would also no longer be subject to Canadian taxation. But they didn't be subject to U.S. taxation. What's <laughs> I don't know what's worse, yeah. I don't know, yeah. especially in New York State. Who knows? But the point is, is that can be done too. So TN status to green card through mm -hmm. employment or family member or controlled or non-controlled Canadian to green card can be done with the proper relationships through employment or through family members. So Correct. it's all, it's all possible. And I did, I did petition both my brothers. And they're still waiting. They're waiting. How is that going? Well, one of them I petitioned in 2009. And just in case any of you think there's a way to skip this line, if an, if an immigration lawyer doesn't know how to do it, then there's probably no way to skip that line. So you, you just got to wait like everybody else and be patient. 2009. Yeah, I know. Is he waiting. close? He's a couple years out, I think. <laughs> it depends, as long as it doesn't slow down. Yeah, the visa bulletin moves all over the place. Yeah, oh. so I told him he might be able to retire in the United States one day. Poor guy. <laughs> but he's in line, and he's he way ahead in line, 2009. Hey, well, so. he was smart. As soon as I, I mean, shortly after I got my citizenship. He's hitting he said, you up? He, yeah. Did you make him pay for that? Oh, wait, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I, think I, that. I don't think I was working with you then. You got to so. charge a bounty. <laughs> Can't I'm do pretty that. sure he that got, was a joke. Yeah. You can't do that. That's <laughs> against the law. You can't. Oh, do, that kind of pain. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> Just let you use his boat. Absolutely. Um, okay, so we already discussed this a little bit, but there are things you need to make sure you take into account during this process and of state mistakes you must avoid. Uh, one of the most common ones, especially if you're doing this adjustment process, and that's what we're talking about, is you can't travel. You can't leave the United States. Once this paperwork is filed, you're stuck here until you get authorization to travel or your green card's issued. Well, let's reframe that. You're not really stuck here. So nobody's going to stop you from leaving the United States. Okay. But at the same time, your the repercussions are that your application will be denied because you abandoned and you have to repay and restart the process yeah, so if you want to do it again they're not giving you your money back if you leave the united no, states and i have a client that just left the united states and he was pending adjustment and he did not he had a family medical health issue in his home country and he decided it was more important to be there than to stay in the united states with his wife and he abandoned his adjustment application that individual is now Instead of being stuck inside the United States, they're stuck outside the United States. U.S. is not going to readmit them. Um, they didn't have they travel declared authorization. Immigrant intent he has declared immigrant intent. It's obvious he's got a, a pending case right now. They have not withdrawn it yet. 
um, and his wife is kind of upset with him, but uh, that was a decision that was made hastily and uh, without our... Um, against without, our advice. Yeah, again, well against our advice. And, and uh, so now he has the repercussions. But yeah, nobody's going to stop you from leaving. But, but if you, you go... should stay. <laughs> if you don't, it's going to be a costly mistake. If you want to get your green card, you need to stay. Yeah. And typically that means you're staying here for a year, year and a half, mm -hmm. I would say on average for this adjustment process, either to get your green card or to get some sort of authorization to depart the United States during the process. Which is easy for some people, but for some people find it a big burden to be stuck inside the United Every States. Every Canadian know, finds only, it a burden. Yeah, the only nationality is Canadians. Canadians really, <laughs> love Canadians, okay but dang, they love to travel. They want to get travel. out of Canada as much as they can and go back to Canada as much as they can. They want to be out of Canada as much as they want to be in Canada. And we do talk to a lot of people that live a very cross-border life. Yeah, they do. You know, they have family on both sides of the border. They may have a house on both sides Cottage of the border. Cottage here, yeah. you know, beach house there. Exactly. Which so, is understandable. And it's hard to give up that if you've lived your whole life yep. being, you know, spending six months here, six months there and whatnot. But, but you're going to have to put your feet in concrete for at least a year if you're going to do this process. So that's something you need to consider. Yeah. Uh, or else you would abandon the process, have to start over. And sometimes, like you said, Christine, depending on how far you are in the process, it could it really impact your future U.S. immigration because you've declared that immigrant intent. So be very careful uh, once you start that process and make sure you don't mess it up. Um, and then work, too. If you enter as a non-controlled Canadian or Canadian visitor and you're going through this process, not only can't you, not only, and I'll rephrase it, not only shouldn't you travel outside of the United States, but you can't work. And that's a can't. You won't have work authorization. And it could be six months to a year before you get authorization to work in the United States. So a lot of people going through that process, if you're used to working and, and traveling, you get cabin fever while you're waiting. So mm -hmm. you just need to plan accordingly and know that there could be a good 12 month or more time frame that you're not working or traveling in and that, that situation. And that's the benefit of having a TN as you can while still you're work. going through this process is you're, yeah, at least you can still work while you're going the process you're kind of stuck with your employer because you can't really get a new Until you TN get that work authorization filed. we do file for work right. authorization but that takes at least six months to get in yeah. most circumstances yeah so make sure you're happy with your position and with your employer um, on your tn before you start down this road or you can be here without working for that period of time if right. you entered as a visitor you, you certainly could quit your job and and not be working at all that's another option so those i think those are the most uh the biggest things to be aware of mm -hmm. when you're going through this process. Make sure you take those into account. Um, now, we get people clamoring a lot that call in or they email and they say, "My, I had a non-immigrant or immigrant visa interview and my case has been refused. They've updated my status to refused online. What does that mean? Now, Refused in, in these cases that we're talking about means your case has been put in an administrative processing. That the government, before they're going to issue a decision on your case, has to look more into your background, it needs more documentation, needs something in order, maybe you have a criminal background, uh, or maybe you have a, a travel history that's global and you're visiting certain countries that are flagged by the United States. There are numerous reasons why you could be put into administrative right. processing. And let's be clear here. This isn't something that happens during the adjustment of status process. This is no. for people that are outside the United States. This, oh, let me be clear. This is a question that we received. So we're, we're breaking off and talking about this question. Yes. So this only applies to people that are outside the United States and they've been through the either the immigrant visa process or the non-immigrant visa process, for example, an e-visa um, and that now the consulate has their case and they've either interviewed them or made a determination that they need more information. So when you go and check your status, when you're going through this process, and this is a user submitted question that we're talking about right now. Sorry, I didn't do that segue properly there. <laughs> Not to confuse everybody. I was confused. I <laughs> was like, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, so was everybody second. else. I thought we were talking about adjusting <laughs> the status. Why am I at the consulate now? <laughs> so this is a question we, we received. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that's what it means is they're doing further processing on your case. Well, how long does that take? Well, it can take a long time. They actually tell you not to do any inquiries or updates for at least 180 days. It's what is referred to as the immigration black hole um, because they won't tell you why you're in there and they won't tell you when you're getting out. 
So, and we do have information on our website that talks about administrative processing in more detail and what to expect in that process. So if you are one of those unfortunate, unfortunate recipients of that refused um, update and your status, that's what it means you've been put into administrative processing. Now, another client success story, Christine, you recently were able to work with actually an attorney, right? Yeah, uh, she was who a needed a, a TN. Yeah, she needed a TN, but her law degree wasn't from North America. It was from England, actually, um, where the law degree, in order to enter law school, you don't need to have an undergraduate degree or any undergraduate study at all. So you can enter straight out of secondary school um, and, and enter so this is where we, this is where we get into kind of like the Indian degree situation where you have a right. foreign degree and it doesn't it's not nice and clean match. Yeah, it's not a nice clean match exactly. So um, you know, as as part of the process, she sought an evaluation um, of her degree, and the evaluation company said, "No, we can't equate this to a U.S. law degree because it doesn't equate. It's it's a foreign degree that doesn't equate to a U.S. degree. It's not the same because in the U.S. you need to have." some undergraduate study or an undergraduate degree to complete, to enter law school. You just don't in England. So um, the good news was that one of the, one of the actual qualifications in the TN profession of lawyer was an LLB, which is the Bachelor of Law degrees, which she held from England. So she was able to obtain her TN without having an evaluation of the foreign degree because that foreign degree was actually stated as accepted um, without an evaluation on the qualification. Right. So she was able to get that TN, um, even though there was some concern during the process about the evaluation not being available. Yeah, it's not as straightforward as a lot of people think. Immigration can be quite complex, and we've helped a lot of lawyers obtain TN status. I know I have. Um, I've also helped uh, Canadian lawyers obtain e-visas and start their own practices here in the United States, even L-visas. So, um it can be complicated even for lawyers to go through this process that don't deal with immigration all the time. And this is all we do. It's our niche. We don't practice anything else. We only practice U.S. immigration. And of that, 90 plus percent of it is for Canadians. So we're very familiar with this process, uh, specifically for Canadians, but individuals worldwide as well. Um, but this is this is what we do every day. Uh, so we know how to handle those specific situations where another attorney who doesn't doubt, who just dabbles in it or doesn't deal with it on a frequent basis wouldn't know what to do. So that's a that's a good example of of that. Um, again, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review, rate us, uh, encourage others out there that uh, may find this content is interesting to to tune in as well, and. We really do want you on our podcast. So if you do have an immigration question that you want answered live on the Arrive podcast, please contact us. Go to our website. Go through um, under our resources, the Arrive podcast, and you'll find a place where you can submit a question uh, to us so that we can answer live on, on the Arrive podcast. And don't forget to tell everybody what we're going to be doing and talking about next time. Uh, yeah, next time. E2 investor visa? We will be. So next time on the podcast, we will be discussing uh, investor visas, which it falls under E2 Treaty Trader is what it's referred to under uh, the regulations. And give an overview of that as well as talk about the top 10 frequently asked questions uh, about E2 visas. So tune in next time when we discuss E2 visas. Thank you for tuning in and, and humoring us and, and listening to the podcast. And another shout out to James because he's, <laughs> he's our fan and he left us a review. So thank you for listening and we look forward to talking to you again next time. Have a great day.